Amen. Well, welcome to Two Cities Church. My name is Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're new, maybe you've been around for a while, we have had a busy weekend. In fact, we just had what we call the Weekender. If we could throw a few pictures up. The Weekender is an event, maybe you could say. Uh, we do it eight or 10 times a year. And, and a lot of people may think, are you an event-driven church? I mean, you guys do a lot of events. You do an event every Sunday. In fact, you do this three times every Sunday. Sunday comes every seven days. So, I mean, that's a lot of events. Uh, you have weekenders. You have these things called community groups. Are they events? And, and our answer to that is no. I mean, well, maybe they're, they're kind of like an event. They're, they're really more like an environment, uh, or we would say maybe a place and space. And here's what I want you to know, that this room right now, what we're doing here, the weekender, your, your community groups, they all exist for basically the same purpose, to get you into an environment where you can be meaningfully connected to people. That's it. We believe that Christianity happens in relationships and discipleship happens in relationships and people are the mission. And so that, that's what we're doing. Now, the weekender is unique because sometimes, I don't know, I don't know your experience going to church. I don't know your experience, those of you watching on the VHQ uh, or online, your experience of the church, but sometimes it's hard to get connected. We wanted to make it easy. So here, there's not 10 ways. There's, there's not two ways. There's not five ways. There's only one way to get connected. It's the weekender. Now, let me just tell you what happens at the weekender real quickly. The first thing is conversations. I mean, that, that's really what happens. I love meeting, you know, this weekend or we had like something like 60 people. I get to meet almost all of them. I get to have personal conversations. I get to ask questions and answer questions. It's a lot of fun. So for some people, it's like conversation, I need to take my next step. For others, it's connection. Uh, you know, we, we have people. Who, I just had someone who moved here. He moved here from out of state, uh, met him after service. He said, uh, I need to get in a community group. I said, you gotta go to the weekender. That's great. This is somebody who knows I need to be connected. I need to be tied into healthy relationships to hold me accountable and to, you know, you can't, Christianity isn't a solo sport or a spectator sport, right? You gotta be connected to other people. And then for others, it's commitment. They're like, I'm in. I'm ready to serve. I'm ready to use my time, talent, treasure. And so we love it. And here's what's been in the middle of COVID. And I'm tired of talking about COVID. And you're tired of hearing me talk about COVID. And you're tired of hearing other people talk about COVID. But here we are. We're talking about COVID for a second. Um, we're coming up in just a few weeks on the one-year anniversary of the two weeks to stop the spread, okay? Yes, the one-year anniversary of two weeks to stop the spread. So it's been an interesting season for all of us. Um, but in the middle of all that, we have seen 413 people go through our weekender. Now, again, why do I talk about numbers? Well, because numbers are names, because numbers are faces, because numbers are sons and daughters, because numbers are souls and stories. And, and what gets me excited is, yeah, yeah, it's great to have 60 people come to a weekender, but when a girl after a weekender, or a young lady after a weekender, goes up to one of our staff and says, after this weekender, I don't know if I am a Christian. And I've got a lot of questions. And would it be okay if I took my next step and got in a community group with some other Christians so I could figure out this, figure out this whole faith thing? So it's stories like that and people like that and faces like that and souls like that is why we have the weekender and why we gather on days like today. Let's pray. And we're going to dive into God's word. Lord, we thank you for the weekender. We thank you for that. It's just a great tool that we see you use. It's a great vehicle that we see you use. It's a great environment that we see you use to connect people to you vertically and to each other horizontally. That's what every room we are in should be about. It's about helping people get connected vertically to you, horizontally to one another, Lord. I, I pray as, as, especially a lot of times on the five o'clock service, Lord, we have already had a full day, many of us. And we're coming in here, some of us have worked today. Some of us have had already conflicts. Some of us had already have struggles with sin today that are very, feel very real. Some of us have felt strongly today some kind of temptation and now we come in obedience and we come to gather around your word and we pray you would speak to us powerfully in Jesus' name, amen. Well, you can type to or turn to or, or swipe to or scroll to, or if you have one of those old Bibles, open it up, okay? <laughs> to uh, Matthew chapter six, Matthew chapter six, verse 25. Let me catch everyone up. This is what we like to do, right? Because the Bible is, you know, not many books, really. It's ultimately one book by one author, one story. So um, what, what we've been doing is we've been looking at Jesus Christ, the most famous person in human history right? No one's had more songs sung about him or books written of him or paintings drawn of him than Jesus. And we're looking at his most famous sermon. It's actually also his longest sermon. Maybe you could argue his favorite sermon because if you look at other places in the New Testament, the gospels, um, Jesus gives part of this sermon. Now here we have it in its entirety. And what is the Sermon on the Mount about? Well, one word, discipleship. That's it. So that's what we say. We don't really say, I mean, you can use the word Christian, but Christian doesn't mean a lot in Winston-Salem. I mean, there's 516 churches. So Christian, what do you mean by Christian? It might be better to say disciple. Well, what do you mean by disciple? Well, I'm following Jesus and I'm helping others follow Jesus. That's it. I'm following Jesus and I'm helping others find and follow Jesus. And so what, what Jesus does is he's like, I'm going to give you this massive sermon. And here's what, I want, where, here's what the whole sermon's about. Discipleship, which means that you're to be distinct and different. You're to be an attractive alternative. You're to be a counterculture. Will you go, well, to what? Well, he keeps going. He, 
if you read it, and you should read it by yourself, not just when we're here. But if you read uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus keeps saying, um, don't be like the hypocrites. That would be the religious people. And then later he goes, um, or actually today, don't be like the Gentiles. That's the non-Christians. So it doesn't matter, you know, whether you're at Wake Forest University, whether you're at Wake Baptist Hospital, whether you're in some neighborhood or you're in some carpool line, okay? It doesn't matter where you are. Wherever you are, you should be thinking, well, how could I be different and distinct from casual Christianity? Casual, convenient, comfortable Christianity, which asks nothing from you and changes nothing about you. Most millennials and most Gen Xers and most of the iGen generation that stopped going to church, one of the main reasons they stopped going to church is they saw a church that took so much of their parents' time and changed so little of their parents' lives. And so what, we, what we're saying is, okay, we gotta be different than that, right? I mean, there's 516 churches in Winston-Salem, and I'm not here to dog anyone, anyone church, but I mean, come on, there should be a lot more life change and transformation in our city if there's 516 churches. The other thing we gotta be different is, we've gotta be different than the consumer culture, than the secular society, right? We've gotta say, if, if nothing else, we love people more than pleasure. And, and we actually believe something instead of everything or something instead of nothing. And so we're gonna be different. We're gonna do marriage different, sex different, family different, work different, and forgiveness different, and leadership different, and relationship different. It's like, it's like, how much time do you got? We'll do all that differently. That's what we should be doing. And, and, and so what we did last week is Jesus starts, and last week he starts talking about your stuff and my stuff and your salary and your savings account. And it's a little overwhelming, but, but at last week what we see is he's not looking, and this is helpful to know, he's not looking for donors, he's looking for disciples. Jesus doesn't afterwards take up an offering. Because at the end of the day, he's not really after your stuff. He talks about your stuff so he can talk about your soul. And, and this week, look at verse 25. If you look at verse 25, we're gonna put it on the screen. It's got one word at the very beginning. Therefore. And if you, you know, English 101, when you see a therefore, you have to ask, what is it? Therefore. There you go, yeah. So well, what, what is it connecting to? And so what it's connecting to, it's interesting. Last week, Jesus talked about our wealth. This week, he's gonna talk about our worry. Last week, it was your stress. This week, it is, or sorry, your salary. This week, it's your stress. Last week, we talked about affluence. This week, he talks about our anxiety. Now, so what we're going to do for the next 40 or so minutes is we're going to talk about anxiety. And some of you are already anxious, okay? <laughs> You're anxious that we're going to talk about anxiety. And that's okay because, look, listen, anxiety is a, um, it's real for many of you, right? We, we, it's real, it's personal. For some, of it, it, for some of you, it's more of a constant companion, for some of you, it's not you, but you know, it's your spouse struggles with it or your teenage girls or, or, or boys struggle with it. And what I wanna do for a little bit, because every, you know, I've done this a lot. When you talk about it, areas like this, I mean, it, it gets complex, it gets convoluted, um, it gets complicated. So let me say this to start with. What I'm not talking about tonight is clinical or chemical anxiety. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about circumstantial anxiety. Does that make sense? I'm not talking about it at a biological level, I'm talking about it at a biblical level. I'm not talking about it from the medical perspective, I'm talking about it from the theological perspective. And all we know is that we, we, there's a lot we don't know about anxiety, okay? We know about 10% of the, of the American population will struggle at some level with GAD throughout their life, general anxiety disorder. For how long, to what extent, I mean, who knows? Some of you, I know some of your stories, and you know, it's interesting, I mean, anxiety is like one of those things where some people, um, they have anxiety for a certain season of their life. They have, they, they have anxiety when they were in medical school. They had anxiety when they were in grad school. They had an anxiety when they had their little kids around all the time. Uh, it, who knows? We, so um, what I want us to look at today is Jesus is going to, this is going to be Jesus's most famous uh, teaching on anxiety. It is the clearest and most comprehensive place in all of scripture where Jesus talks about anxiety and he does at length. We've got, I think, nine or 10 verses here where he's going to, in the middle of his sermon, deal with this topic of anxiety. So let's look at it together. I'm gonna read all of it, and then we're gonna unpack it. So let's go to Matthew chapter six, starting in verse 25. He says this, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious. Okay, so that is um, going to be the first of three times Jesus is going to say this phrase, do not be anxious it's actually one of six times he's going to use the word anxious. But three different times he's going to say, therefore, don't be anxious. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? And then here's the gentle rebuke. O you of little faith. Therefore, second, therefore, therefore, do not be anxious. Saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for the Gentiles? Remember, don't be like these people. Gentiles, if you read that there, basically means non-Christians, people who don't know God. For the Gentiles seek after all of these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Final therefore, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Anxiety, here we go. There's three types of anxiety. The first type of anxiety is what's called emotional anxiety. It is a, an emotional response to a real or perceived threat. And this is a God-given good thing, okay? So right before we moved here, uh, I was up in Black Mountain, North Carolina, and I was on a prayer walk. Uh, I know I'm, I sound very spiritual right now by saying that, but I was. Uh, I was in Black Mountain, I was on a prayer walk. Uh, you know, I don't do that all the time, but, but I, here I was. And, uh, and I'm, while I'm out on this prayer walk, I look up and there is a black bear staring at me. And it's probably from me to about the doors right there where I saw the black bear. And I'm not what you'd call outdoorsy. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to grow in that, but I'm not, you know? So I saw this black bear and I just started running. I wasn't gonna do that whole play dead thing. I mean, who came up with that? The bears, I mean, right? No thanks. So I, I, I ran out of there. And, uh, and when I got out of the woods, you know, I looked behind me and the bear was gone. And I said, well, thank God for anxiety. You know I mean? That, that was a good, that, I mean, there is a purpose uh, for the emotional system in your body that it's when it experience. now it's the question is, are you seeing a real threat or a perceived threat? But when you see a real threat this morning, it was eight 30. My wife calls me now, Margie, that's her name. She never calls me on Sunday mornings. I'm here super early. I'm looking over all my notes. Um, so she calls me. So I'm like, this is not good. Um, so she calls me and I pick up and she says, I need you to pray for me right now. And I said, what happened? She said, Elon, that's our four-year-old came downstairs and threw his dirty pull up in the kitchen and it exploded. Now those are words, you never wanna hear the word dirty pull up, kitchen and explosion together. <laughs> you normally don't wanna hear even two of those words together. Um, so, you know, she's anxious about it. We're talking about it, you know, and all this and what to do and, and uh, cause it was all over the place. And so that, that would be what we call an emotional anxiety. Hey, an event happened and I responded to it because it was a threat or it was scary or whatever. That's called emotional. The second kind of anxiety is called uh, physiological anxiety. Uh, that, that's the kind of anxiety that uh, comes from a broken brain or a broken body or a broken past, usually. It comes out of trauma in your life. Uh, you may need medication. See, here we believe in miracles and medication, prayer and pills. So sometimes there's a comprehensive uh, you know, uh, treatment for that. That's, and I know people like that, and they can't sleep at night, and they're trusting the Lord, and they're praying about it, and their heart keeps beating really, really fast, and they cannot control it. Uh, and they have, people have panic attacks and people have shortness of breath and people start sweating uncontrollably. I mean, there, there are situations like that. I'm not dealing with that. Now, here's what the Bible deals with. And this is important because for the rest of the time, put away, I'm not talking about the emotional and I'm not talking about the physiological. I'm talking about every time the Bible says, do not be anxious. That's what I'm talking about. And here was the anxiety that, that the Bible is talking about. The chosen sinful response of turning inward and not believing what God has said. So the Bible has a category for anxiety as it's chosen, which you may go, I don't like that. Well, it's actually good news because then you could repent of it. Then you could not choose it. <laughs> That's why it's good news. So it, it's the chosen sinful response. And, I, and you tend to do two things, right? When, when, you're, when you're anxious, you turn inward and you don't believe what God said, right? This is why you're anxious about your things and I'm anxious about my things, right? I'm not anxious about your schoolwork. You are, right? It's yours. It's about you, right? I'm not anxious about your kids. You're anxious about your kids. I'm not anxious about your job. You're anxious about your job. It's like, of course you are. It's, it's has to do with you. 
And so what we're going to look at is, is, is the Bible. Here's the good news. We're, we're going to look verse by verse at all that it says here about anxiety. Uh, but the Bible addresses anxiety continually. The number one command in scripture is do not fear. So that, I mean, we have the whole human experience of thousands of years of our ancestors and the body of Christ and our brothers and sisters in the past dealing with anxiety and the difficulty and the heartbreak of it and all of the questions that come along with it. For example, Jesus, in one of his most famous parables, remember he says there's three types, or he says there's four types of soil. He's like, there's this, you know, rocky soil, and then there's, and it doesn't grow much, and then there's this thin soil, it doesn't grow much, and then there's some thicker soil, but it says the sun comes out, and it gets choked up, and gets choked up by thorns and thistles, and he says it gets choked up by the cares and concerns of this world. Literally, in the Greek, the worries of this world. So Jesus says, why do we talk about anxiety? Because it actually can stunt your growth as a Christian. It can actually hinder your development. Or how about the story, a lot of women love the story of Martha and Mary. Martha and Mary, Jesus comes over, right? Mary's sitting down, she's listening to Jesus, and Jesus says to Martha, she's all over the place, and he says, Martha, you're distracted by many things. Literally in the Greek, you're worried. You're worried by many things. The apostle Paul, who writes, you know, 13 books in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 32, He's writing to all these, 1 Corinthians 7, it's like, he's writing to all these different people, people who lost a spouse and people who are single and people who want to get married and people who are struggling. And then he says to all of them, 1 Corinthians 7, 32, he looks at it, he goes, I would like you all to be free from anxieties. And so what I want us to do with the time that we have left is I want us to look at the different ways Jesus addresses anxiety. And here's the big idea for the whole rest of the text and the whole rest of the sermon. Your, your anxieties are connected to your ambitions. That's what the whole text is about. That, that what you're seeking is what's causing your stress. That your worries expose to yourself and to me and to everybody else what you really want. And, and why is that? I mean, I read you the whole text, right? What does he say at the end? It's like, you, you're, Jesus, you're talking about anxiety and then all of a sudden you're going, seek the kingdom of God? I don't get how that's connected. It's like, well, all of the anxieties in your life and in my life are because we're seeking all of these other things instead as first and foremost in our lives. So let's look at each one of these. Uh, if you'll go ver back to chapter six, verse 25. Here's what it says. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what, you'll, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So Jesus does a couple things there. First of all, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't negate uh, our needs. There are real needs that we have. And, and he actually gives categories, right? Because you see, he gives life, right? He gives body. And then he gives food, drink, and clothing. Now, think about that. Life is your soul, right? And so what is your body? Well, this is kind of a weird way to think about it, but your body is your earth suit. Okay, you can think of it that way. Just like, you know, your soul is in your body. Um, and, and it's important because what he's saying is, hey, I, I gave you life. That's your soul, right? You, you are going to live forever somewhere. So you, you have life that's not gonna be taken from you. You have life. And then, but what God says is for your life, I gave you something to take care of that immediately. Like immediately, I, when you had life, I gave you a body. And then he says, okay, so now that you're going, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to, you know, there's food and there's drink and there's clothing. And those would be three ways that you take care of your body. It's not the only three ways. I mean, there's shelter, there's other things. But he's going into this. Now, this is important for a couple of reasons because you go, what does all this have to do with anxiety? What he's talking to you is he's giving you a comprehensive picture of life because here's what happens when you get anxious or when I get anxious. We get focused on one thing that we don't have. Right? It's like, so, so the answer, when somebody's anxious, so say somebody's like, ah, but I just don't have a great job. Well, there's very pastoral ways to walk, pray with them, walk with them. But actually one answer to that is, is one answer to that, or maybe one of the foundational answers to that is, isn't life more than a job? Well, I, yeah, but I'm still single. Well, I mean, I, and I'm sorry about that. And I know you have a passion to get married. And it, but can we just stop for a second? And can we both just admit this? Isn't life more than marriage? Well, I don't make a lot of money and I can't buy the house I want. Well, I know that's gotta be hard. But isn't life more than your dream home? And, and everybody kind of, if they'll just be honest with themselves, they'll say, I mean, yeah. And so one of the things that he does is he gives us this massive view of how God's provided for us. And then he does something interesting. He points us to the past to point us to the future. Basically, hasn't God provided for you in the past? Didn't God give you a life? Didn't God give you a body? See, what you do, when you get anxious, when I get anxious, we only think about the present, maybe. <laughs> we mostly think about the future. That's what anxiety is about. It's about the future, right? It's the feelings of the future today, negatively. And so what happens is, if you look to the past, you can look at how God's provided for you, and past grace 
tells us that God's gonna give us future grace. Now, now Christianity is really unique in that we actually have a faith that looks backwards and forwards. So we have a faith that looks back to the cross. That's the center of our faith. Uh, the apostle Paul talks about um, how the gospel and Christ crucified is the very center of our faith. When we look back to the cross, we say, okay, God so loved me that he sent his only son, his only begotten son to live, to die, and to rise again on my behalf. He has done that for me. He's met my greatest spiritual needs, right? I mean, if you think about like, do you have something to be anxious about? Yes, apart from God, yes. Apart from a relationship with God, apart from Jesus Christ, do you have a lot of things to be anxious about? Absolutely. But he's saying, God's taking care of those greatest things. Will he not take care of everything else? But then he gives us more advice. Look at verse 26. He gives us a lot of practical things. In verse 26, he's gonna move on. He's gonna tell us to look at the birds. But, but before I do that, I wanna, I wanna say one more thing. It's, it's interesting because he says, look at what you're anxious about. He says, you're anxious about food and you're anxious about clothing and you're anxious about drink. And I thought, are, are we still anxious about those things? I mean, in this room, I know there are people, right? There are people who don't have food and there are people that don't have drink. That's a very serious thing. There are people who don't have clothing. But I thought, I mean, we're kind, of, we're kind of worried about those things in like a shallow way, usually. You know, have I eaten at the new hippie, hipster, cool restaurant? Have I drank all the new micro beers? You know, do I wear expensive outerwear even if I never go outside? I mean, you know, what, what, whatever. It's like we, we have those like, do I, are my, is my clothing and is my food and all that? We're, we tend to be worried about a lot of other things, right? We tend to be worried about our friends. We tend to be worried about our future. We tend to be worried about uh, our finances. We tend to be worried about our family. I, I had a young student, uh, student in the student ministry in our, our church after the first service this morning. She, she was talking about the message. We were talking for a little bit. She said, thanks for talking about this. My best, or one of my really good friends is moving and I'm just really anxious. I said, why are you anxious? Well, I'm just, I'm anxious that she's going to forget about me. I thought, wow, this is, I, yeah, anxiety is a real thing. And by the way, we know that women struggle with anxiety more than men because women are more prone to negative emotion than men. Now, men have their own problems and their own struggles. Uh, men are more uh, prone to antisocial behavior and alcoholism. Uh, but, 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 but we know that th this is particularly affecting women. Now, what's interesting is to go, well, why? And I asked myself this this week. Why are we more anxious today than ever? I mean, you look back to those people, and, you, and you, if you read about their, the situations of like Jesus' followers, like we estimate that Jesus' house was the size of a, uh, a parking space out there. That's probably the right estimate of the size of house Jesus grew up in and the size of house of the average person he's talking to. So if you think, well, there's anyone who doesn't have a lot and they don't, I told you last week, if you have two sets of clothes, you're, you're rich back then. So it's like, if, they have, if anyone has something to be anxious, anxious about, it's probably them. So my question is, why are we more anxious than them, right? I mean, we live in the safest place in the world at the safest time in human history. And people are more anxious than ever. And I think there's three reasons. I think number one, people are anxious because they're isolated, right? I mean, think about isolation plus information overload. I mean, that's basically what happens, right? Let's take you, get you by yourself, and, and I don't know, we'll give you a phone or we'll give you a laptop or we'll give you a, you know, an iPad, who knows? So then, because we don't really know what the internet's doing to us, we probably won't know for like 30 or 40 years what the internet's doing to us because what the internet did is, what's done, what the internet's done to us is it's connected us to 7 billion people, roughly, <laughs> something like that. And so every time something bad happens somewhere, you find out about it. So even though that, you know, uh, this is before COVID and all the kind of craziness, but, but um, you know, historically, all, like crime, everything is down. If you look at the last 10 years, it's like, you wouldn't know that. You wouldn't think that. Not for, not for the way you feel, not for the way we parent. We are more anxious than ever because when something happens in Nebraska, we hear about it. And so when something happens in Nigeria, we hear about it. The second reason I think that we are more prone to anxiety is social media. Now, we don't know all that social media is doing to us, right? I mean, we're, we're playing with fire and we're not, and we're not anti-social media. I mean, that would be hypocritical, right? I mean, we do have a social media page as a church, okay? We're not anti-social media, but we don't know what it's doing to us. Um, but we, we know that it's particularly hard on women, again. Um, I, there's a book called The Coddling of the American Mind, not written by Christians, and it's diagnosing American culture. And one of the things that it's showing is what's happening with social media. And there's a correlation. We don't know about causation. There's a correlation between the iPhone coming out, social media coming out, and anxiety increasing among the I generation. The I gen was what they called them, the generation after um, the millennials. And one of the reasons why is, is see, what, and, and one of the reasons they think it's affecting women so much is men tend to deal with their conflict in person quickly and physically. You know what I mean? 
I mean, how many middle school bathroom fights were you, did, you, did you guys see? I mean, the guys in there, it's like, it was like every Tuesday, someone was fighting in the bathroom. Um, and it's just like, and then they're eating lunch, you know, the next, the next period together. It was just weird. But what, what happens with women is it's often more reputation destruction. And so what's happened is you used to be able to, if your kid was having trouble in, in school with people picking on him or her, you used to be able to go, well, it's safe at home. And it's safe during the summer. And it's safe on the weekend. But now everybody can talk to everybody and continue to attack everybody, even online throughout the week. And so there's, there's a new phrase that's, um, that's come out called FOBLO, fear of being left out, FOBLO. <laughs> Not FOMO, fear of missing out, FOBLO, fear of being left out. And it's a tactic, tactic used by many women to make other women jealous. Look what I'm doing, you weren't invited. And when we know all the things we're missing out on and all the things other people are doing, right? I mean, the number one, or one of the greatest increasing in cosmetic surgery right now is people going in and want cosmetic surgery to look like themselves in filtered pictures. Uh, Yeah, this is me, but this isn't what I really look like, but could you help me look like this? That's what's happening. Third reason is uh, our expectations for our lives. I mean, I often think, what would it be like to sit down and talk to your great-great-grandfather? Could you imagine sitting down with your great-great-grandfather and saying to him, what were your expectations for marriage? Have six kids? Care for each other into old age? Maybe have a little bit of romance? I mean, could you imagine talking to your great-great-grandfather, sitting down with him and going, is your job fulfilling? (laughs) Fulfilling? (laughs) I'm building a railroad. You know, I'm wor- I work in a coal mine all day. I mean, that, that, that's like the history. It's like, yes, it's fulfilling. It pays all of my bills. But, you know, it's like, the, so you add isolation, massive expectation, and then the availability of social media, and you wonder, well, no wonder everyone's anxious. So in verse 26, Jesus te- begins to tell us how to deal with it. He says, all right, here's how you deal with your anxiety. Look at the birds. You're like, Jesus, I don't have time to look at the birds. I have finals. I have teenagers. I'm working 60 hours a week. He's like, exactly. I need you to slow down and I need you to humble yourself. And by the way, this is interesting. I mean, I told you that at the heart of, of um, anxiety is self-centeredness. And, to the, and it's, it's also the root of sin, to turn in on oneself. So one of the things he says is you gotta get outside yourself. You gotta begin to marvel at creation. He goes, look at the birds of the air. We don't know why he said birds. Maybe there were birds right around right then. I don't know if there's anything necessarily special about the birds. He just says, look at the creation. He goes, look, they neither sow nor they reap nor they gather into barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not more, are you not of more value than they? Now, this is amazing. What he's saying is when you start to be anxious, take a step back and look at all of the creation. And look at how big our God is and how he's doing everything that he's doing. Because right, if you look at the birds, do you really see God feeding them? I mean, when was the last time you saw a bird open its mouth and like a worm fell from heaven, you know? It's like, that would be really cool. That's not how God feeds them. What's amazing about birds is just, or any animal is is the whole ecosystem of it all, right? I mean, I don't know if you know this. I mean, hopefully some of us know this, but um, the reason that we call what we live in the universe is because for a long time, people were so overwhelmed at the unity of everything and the diversity of everything. It was, I mean, if you think about it for too long, I mean, this is why you like planet Earth in the past and all these shows. It's really amazing to see the unity and the diversity of our creation and how everything works together. It was so amazing. They said, well, let's call it the universe. And then we probably should spend our lives studying it. So let's create the university. That's how the university got started. The university got started. It's like, well, the university is so amazing. So you study English and you study math and you study science and you go into medicine and you go into law and all of us together, we'll try, to, we'll try to figure this whole unity diversity thing out because it's like so amazing how it all works together. And so what he says is, I want, you, I want you to, first of all, just be amazed at how God provides. He's gonna say this again, that your heavenly father feeds them. Now, this is so important because today we live in what um, Charles Taylor, Charles Taylor is a um, Canadian philosopher, genius, well, well-written, very respected. He said, modern man lives in what he calls an imminent frame an imminent frame, think a box. (laughs) And everything that, the only thing that he cares about or she cares about is in the box. And everything in the box must be explained by everything else in the box. There's nothing outside the box. We don't believe that. We believe in a heavenly father. 
Now, that's an interesting phrase. He's gonna use that phrase twice. You see that? Heavenly? What does that mean? Above us. Transcendent. What does Father mean? Near us. It's the transcendence and the imminence of God. It's the ultimate nature of God and the intimate nature of God. And, and see, here's what happens in anxiety. Anxiety goes, well, there's more to the equation than everything that I see. That, that's how you begin to overcome anxiety in your life. You go, well, I, you know, there's a big factor missing in this equation. God. And so often, right, it's like, we, we, it's like, well, you know, well, why would you give money away? Why would you be generous? It's like, well, because there's more to that. I understand, you, if this is all there is, I would save and be stingy. But if this isn't all there is, and if the Bible says that when you give and your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing, but your father sees and he rewards you in secret, do you see that we're talking, there's somebody outside the box who gets involved in the box, which changes everything. You know, and you say, well, why would I pray? I mean, the prayer is kind of a waste of time. And we're gonna get to that in a few weeks, but you know, prayer is kind of a waste of time. It's how the modern man would say it. I mean, right? I mean, do you remember when everyone was asking for their thoughts and prayers at the beginning of COVID? And a couple of people said, nope, we don't need, we, maybe your thoughts, definitely not your prayers. We need your action. Because modern man says there's nobody outside the box. There's nobody who can reach in and do something. We believe completely differently. So he says, I want you to watch the birds, <laughs> watch instead of worry. Then he says, I want you to work instead of worry, which is interesting. It's like, well, because if you look at the birds, what are they doing? They're working. Are birds lazy? No. Right? Some people go, I don't struggle with anxiety. It's like, well, maybe you're lazy. <laughs> maybe you're carefree. Maybe you take no responsibility. Maybe you have no preparation and planning, right? The most likely person, by the way, to be anxious is a woman who's a workaholic and a perfectionist. Because workaholic, everything, everything depends on me. Perfect, it has to be perfect. Woman, I'm more sensitive to negative emotion. So he says, I want you to work. Now, this is interesting because most people think one of the reasons we're so anxious is we have so much free time. What is the number one thing couples fight about? Well, I don't, there's a lot of things, but, but one of the main things would be free time. Uh, if you're married, when, you're, when are you most likely to get in a fight? On your vacation. We don't know what to do with the amount of discretionary free time that we have. We know how we consume and entertain ourselves. But what happens is, is again, think about your great-great-grandfather. What did they do? And your great-great-grandmother. Well, they woke up when the sun got up. They worked all day. When they were done working, they took care of their 12 kids. And they didn't do Uber Eats and DoorDash. <laughs> they cooked all night. And then they cleaned up just in time for the candles to burn out and the, it, before they went to bed because the sun was down, because there's no electricity. And so what's interesting about that is, is in, in not when you're a workaholic, but when you work hard. And when you're doing meaningful work, it, you're, the sinful anxieties in your life tend to go away because you realize everything that I'm doing is so meaningful and so valuable. It's often in the free time that we ask all these questions. But then Jesus goes one step forward in verse 27. Look what he says. In verse 27, he says, worry doesn't work. Verse 27, and which of you by being anxious, he, this is kind of when he asks a question, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? So he says, look, when you worry, it, it doesn't work. And actually, here's what we know. It, because it, he says there, hey, is it, your life gonna be longer if you worry? The answer is no, your life will probably be shorter. <laughs> Right? Worry doesn't work, and it often makes things worse. They did a study, and I actually think the percentages have to be even higher than this, but they did a study where they, they I don't know how they do these studies. They, uh, in a study, they found out that 91% of the things that people worry about never happen. So you know what happens? You know what happens when you worry about something and it happens? You suffer twice. <laughs> do you know what happens if you worry about something and it doesn't happen? You suffer unnecessarily. And so he says, okay, look, and we know that worry is terrible for the body, right? Fatigue, uh, kills your sexual desire. Uh, it, there's, a, there's this uh, idea of an impending sense of doom. It makes it very, very hard to concentrate. Um, he, heavy breathing, chest pains, ulcers. I mean, it's not good for the body and it's not good for the soul. What, what it does to the soul is this is the unbelief part. It tells you things that are not true about God. And it, it paints a terrible picture of the future, right? I mean, what... It, Fear is a false prophet that preaches a false gospel that tells you that, that the future, there's a, there, it's, here's what fear is, vision minus optimism, that's fear. Here's the future and it's not bright. And so here's how you have to deal, when you deal with, and I wanna be as helpful as possible tonight because some of you are gonna struggle with anxiety more than others and some of you are gonna know people and you're gonna wanna help them. Part of what you have to do when you deal with, when you deal with anxiety at the soul level, you have to settle two things in your heart. The first thing you have to settle in your heart is I can't change the past. 
And the second thing you have to settle in your heart is I can't control the future. And those are both hard. I can't, I can't change the past. I mean, a lot of people are anxious about their past, things that happened to them. That's PTSD and things that can happen to people. People are anxious for the past for all types of reasons. And what happens is when you're anxious in the past, now here's the thing. Um, you can't change the past, but you can understand it. So if you're dealing, well, I'll give you an example. If something happened to you more than 18 months ago and you still cry about it, I, I, I actually know why you're still crying about it. You're still crying about it because you don't understand it. That what happens with anxiety is I have to go in the past and I don't understand it. And so this is why you, need, you might need counseling. You might just need good friendship. Part of what you, you're, you're, the reason that you're crying and you're feeling all these anxieties with it is because you don't understand exactly what happened or why it happened. A lot of times what you have to do when you go to your past is you have to develop a deep theology of good and evil. Because usually your naivety, seriously, met somebody else's malevolence and it creates anxiety in your life. And so what you have to do is you have to, you have to, you have to think about your past. You have to put it together. Then there's, you have to look to your future. And you can't control your future, right? Um, <laughs> that's what COVID taught us. And so, but here's the good thing. I don't know doesn't need to equal I am anxious. You know, I mean, so what you can do with the future is you, and it's a little cheesy, but it's true. You can say this, I don't know what the future holds, but by faith, I know who holds the future. And so Jesus is in this next section, I'm gonna read it's a little bit longer. He talks about an old idea that we need to get back to. And it's the idea of instead of worrying, trust. And, and I, wanna, I want you to see this. If you'll turn with me to uh, verse 28. It says this. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God... There's the God outside the box reaching into the box. <laughs> but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all of these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. Uh, what, part of what we do in our anxiety and part of what we actually see happening, most of the Psalms are laments. The, a large majority of the Psalms in the, in, the, in the Old Testament are laments. And what the Psalms are doing is they're, they're dealing with the troubles of their lives. And at the very, very end of almost every Psalm, I mean, check this out. I mean, even the Psalms that start really, really dark, it ends with some version of, I continue to trust you, Lord. And often not a lot changes in the Psalm. Their perspective changes, but not a lot else changes. I wanna talk for a few minutes about trust because it's not something we've talked about here a lot, but it's a key and crucial component to being a Christian. When you trust God, you lean on three of his attributes. And, and listen, I mean, our, our ancestors are way smarter than us, okay? And they've studied these things at, at great length. And, and what they found out, what Christians have found is there really are three characteristics that you have to lean on, right? Well, I'm gonna give you truth, but truth has to be trusted. That's what, what changes a person's life is not truth. It's truth that's trusted. It's truth, truth, truth that is leaned on. So here's the three attributes. The first attribute you have to believe is that God is really good and loves me. It's the same thing. You know? It's basically the idea, so love is not I make you feel good. That's what our culture thinks love is, right? If you, if you ever tell someone you're not very loving, you're usually saying, you don't make me feel good right now. But that, that's, not, that's not love. Love, you know, love is a commitment to your good. Um, the second attribute is sovereign, that God's in control. See, again, we believe there's a God who's both in the box and out of the box who's actually holding together everything in the box. The, if you read basic theology about God, we read he's our creator and our sustainer. And so what God is doing, I mean, this is just an image of it, but it's almost like God is upholding. So you like, you like gravity? You like all of the scientific laws? God is actively holding those things together. That's the picture in scripture. And so a miracle is when God decides, I'm gonna temporarily let this go for one second. Okay, back. <laughs> that, that, that's the image of God. And so we, this is a very, I mean, you want to talk about people who know how to suffer well. They believe everything in their life is father filtered. Okay, you know, I, God's good. And, and God, you know, God didn't not, God wasn't blind to this. God, God knew this was going to happen. And this is a lot of the stories of scripture. It's like the last half, by the way, of the book of uh, Genesis is like this terrible story about Joseph. I mean, most of it's really sad if you know that story. And then it's in Genesis chapter 15, he says to his brothers, you meant this for evil but God meant it for good. It's deep. He doesn't even go, you meant it for evil, and then God turned it around, changed it around, and did it. No, no, God meant it, all the hardships of it. God meant it for my good. 
We know that for Christ, right? What's the worst event in human history? The cross of Christ. What's the best thing that ever happened to any of us? The cross of Christ. God can somehow take the worst things and make the best things, which leads to the third characteristic that we have to lean on to is God's wisdom. And that's it. I mean, there's a lot of more characteristics of God, but I want to simplify and I want to help all of us. At the, the way that you learn to trust God is, is in every situation you say, okay, God loves me. He's committed to my good, even if he's not making me feel good. God's, everything that's coming to me is father filtered. And thirdly, God is wise. He's not just a bigger, smarter version of you. He, he's not just like, he's not just like a hundred times smarter than us. Does that make sense? He is so above us and so outside the box, yet still in the box, that just because we don't see a point and purpose to something doesn't mean there isn't a point and purpose. And so when you have a deep understanding of who God is, you can trust him. And it's out of that that he, he gives us our next reality. He says this in verse 33. So in light of all of that, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added to you. So, so this is where it kind of crescendos. What he says is, listen, if you want to deal with your anxieties, you need a greater ambition for your life. If you want to deal with the stress, you need to seek something higher and better. And what's interesting, he says, he says seek the kingdom of God first. What? But seek first. Now, here's the, the word first in the Greek, in the original language, is the word proto or protos, okay? Science 101, where we get the word proton. And I know you know, what I know about science, you can put in a thimble, okay? But <laughs> what I do know about science is, is I know that the proton is in the center with the nucleus. The whole idea of proton is, it, it's this beautiful meaning of first and central. So it means that my desire is for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done. That's the prayer, right? Or my, I, I wanna seek God's kingdom in my marriage. I wanna seek God's kingdom in my business. What is the kingdom of God? It's the reign and rule of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God was Jesus' main message. His disciples were really confused because they thought, well, you're bringing a political kingdom. He's like, no, I'm bringing an invisible kingdom. And you see it every time someone repents and believes. And so what he says is, okay, so this is the idea. What changes a person's life is when they say, the kingdom of God first and my health second. And, and the kingdom of God first and my health. But the kingdom of God first and my marriage second. The kingdom of God first and my business second. This is, and then he says, look, he says, he says, in the pursuit is the provision. Do you see that? In the pursuit. <laughs> he says, At when you seek, but seek first the kingdom of God and all these things. What are all these things? Everything that you're anxious about, that you feel like you're not gonna have. He goes, all of it's going to be added to you. Now, how many of us have not done kingdom things because we were afraid of the financial consequences of it? All the time. How many people aren't more bold for Christ at work because they're afraid? And I understand that. You know, it's, I always think about missionaries and church planners, but particularly missionaries. Missionaries, and I love them. And if I, if I get in the right mood, I, you know, I can get emotional talking about missionaries. Um, because they're, they're, you know, they're just like us, but they just, what's amazing about a missionary is if you ever meet a real missionary family and they come back and they're, I don't know, like, so they're in India. And whenever I meet an India family from India, um, you know, what do you think of when I tell you a family of like five is going to India? You probably think what we all think, right? Do they have good health care there? I mean, are they homeschooling their kids? Are their kids going to have any, I mean, you can't raise your kids without friends. I remember one missionary telling me he's going to China and, he, and I found out, he's like, it's a long story, but basically found out like there's no baseball in China. It's like, could you raise the, can you raise the kid without playing baseball? I mean, you can't, but, but what's interesting is what I find is People, every once in a while, we'll have people come in and they say, we think we're missionaries. We think we might be missionaries. And, but then we start talking to them and they say, well, you know, they start asking all those questions. We think we might be missionaries, but, you know, uh, there's, no there's no really good hospitals there. Um, we're, we're concerned about that. And, and we're concerned about our, our children's education. It's like, you're not a missionary. I, I mean, really, because I've met enough missionaries. Missionaries ask those questions, but it's question 10 through 15. It's not question one through 10. You made a missionary, they're like, well, where would be the most strategic place in the city? Well, guess where, guess where the most strategic place in the city is? Where it's hardest for your needs to be met. And so you, you, you meet these people, right? Every once in a while you meet, you meet church planners and it's like, well, look, there's a lot of questions when it comes to planning a church, you know? 
I remember when we first when we first planted the church, it was me, my wife Margie, and our three unbelieving children. <laughs> so we started this church with more unbelievers than believers. And I remember, you know, you, you just like you wanted to, before you moved here, you wanted to know that there was going to be a hundred people that were going to come in. We didn't know that. And I remember just being like, all right, before we move, we, I'd like like, can we just get like five people to give fifty thousand dollars? You know, I mean, I'd feel a lot better if that would just happen. And it's like, actually, the provision often doesn't happen until you're down with the pursuit, until you're moving along. And so Jesus says, if you have a big kingdom vision, and if you'll trust me, and that'll be first in your life, I'm going to meet all of your needs, not all of your luxuries, but I'm going to meet all your needs. And then he gives us one last practical thing. I don't want us to see this. One last practical word in verse 34. Jesus is both practical and pastoral, which is what we try to be here he says one last time, he, he kind of closes, closes this part of the sermon. He says, therefore, don't be anxious. But then he says this about tomorrow, right? Because we tend to be anxious about tomorrow. Um, he says, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. And then he says this, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So he tells us not to be anxious, but he also says you're going to have trouble every day. It's like, well, not super encouraging. So he's, saying, he's not saying you'll be anxious because you don't have trouble. He'll say, he's, you can be not anxious in the midst of having trouble. Most people think that this last verse does give permission for us to be, have a healthy concern for our daily activities. To have, there, you know, there's a healthy level of worry that we would call responsibility and faithfulness. There's a, there's a heavy level, there's, there's the right amount of um, concern and care for things. And so he gives us two principles. He says, worry about the day and it's gonna have its own trouble. So this is one of the things, and again, this is a really, really, really helpful tool if you're ever struggling with anxiety or walking with somebody who ha uh, has anxiety or depression or is struggling. The first thing you do when somebody struggles, or you're struggling, the first thing you do is you shorten your time frame. Because I, what happens when suffering comes into your life is you can't see into the future anymore, right? I mean, imagine that you found out that you have like, you know, God forbid, but you find out you have stage three cancer. It's like, all of a sudden, you don't know what the future is. I mean, you can't, you're like, well, it depends on even where you are to begin with that. Like, well, can you have kids? Are you going to see your, are you going to walk your daughter down the aisle? I mean, you know, your 40th birthday that was coming up in five years, you, you, you're not thinking about that anymore, right? When, when suffering and anxiety and pain come into your life, you have to shorten the window. Jesus' recommendation is short the window, shorten the window to the day. All right, Lord, this is what I'm going to work on today. Sometimes people are going through so much pain and have so many problems that they have to shorten the time frame even shorter than that. It's like, well, we can't handle the day. Well, let's make it to lunch. The second thing he says is that trouble comes every day, but, but implicit in this idea is so does the grace of God. So, you know, I wish we could have grace. I wish I could get the grace of tomorrow today. And what we tend to do is we tend to look at tomorrow and we see all trouble and no grace. And, you know, I, I think I've told you this story before. I had a friend of mine and uh, he was in a terrible car accident. Thankfully, they all ended up being okay, but he was in a terrible car accident. And when he looked over after the car accident, it looked like his wife was dead. Thank God she lived and was completely fine um, after, you know, being in the hospital for a little bit. This was years ago, but I remember he said, I, I, he said, in about a five minute period, my whole life flashed before me. And I started to, he has, he has three kids. I started to think through everything in my family about what happens. And he, you know, he just, he just, I don't know how it works in your brain, but just, he just started thinking, I don't want to be single again. I, I sat for the loss of my wife. I don't want to date again. My kids are going to not have a, 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 a mom now. And he said, I went through this entire kind of litany of, of things. He goes, and then I realized even before he fully realized that she was gonna be okay, he said, I was thinking about all of this apart from the grace of God in my life. I was starting to worry about all of these things way in the future. <laughs> Again, worried about something that ended up not even happening, but worried about all these implications. We take it one day at a time, and then we voluntarily and incrementally confront our fears by faith. Not as a victim, but voluntarily we confront our fears, and we incrementally do it, and we do it by faith. And we do it because, listen, we follow... Jesus Christ, who, do you know one of Jesus' names in scripture is man of sorrows? Jesus knows what it's like to be under pressure. <laughs> he knows, like, you look at the Garden of Gethsemane, he knows what it's like to feel all of the temptations of anxiety and stress and worry. And it's interesting because in this passage, Jesus gives us if-then statements, right? And he, he argues from the lesser to the greater, it's a rhetoric kind of thing. It's like, okay, if God clothes grass, it's gonna get cut up and like lit on fire. How much more will he clothe you, right? Lesser or the greater. If God clothes birds, less, 
How much more will he clothe you? It's less or the greater. But we know it's like, look, God didn't become a bird. God didn't make birds in his image. God is the creator of birds, but not the heavenly father of birds. The greatest if-then statement in the Bible argues from the greater to the lesser. Romans 8 says, if God did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, that's the greater statement, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? When, the, when we genuinely feel that truth and we lean in and trust that truth and go, the same God that sent Jesus is the true, good, sovereign, wise God who is also my heavenly father. Let's pray. I wanna give us a moment to respond in prayer wherever you are. Uh, I don't know your situation. I don't know the anxiety that you're going through. I, I wanna share a verse that I haven't shared so far. And it's uh, 1 Peter 5, 7. The apostle Peter, he writes to this, this small church. It was a minority church and they were a minority in the culture. And, and he says to them at the very end of his letter, he says, I want you to cast all of your cares, all of your anxieties on him for he cares for you. And so I just wanna give us a moment right now to give to the Lord whatever anxiety you have. Some of you are anxious about being single. Some of you are anxious about getting pregnant and staying pregnant. Some of you are anxious about career and you're anxious about finances. Some of you are anxious about health. You're anxious about illness and injury. We just wanna take a moment and say, Lord, we give these to you. We wanna watch and see how you work. We wanna work hard ourselves. We wanna trust you. Also, just let's take a moment and think, who this week could we help carry some of their anxieties? Part of what the church does is the church comes into other people's lives and says, look, I bet I could half that anxiety for you. I Put that load on me as well, I'd like to help. Let me pray for that as well. Let me lift that up to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come to you right now and we wanna be a church a church full of grace and truth, Lord, a, a church that is not anxious, a church that doesn't turn inward, Lord. We wanna be a people, as we leave here, that we are not consumed with ourselves so we can genuinely care about others. We don't have to be consumed with ourselves because we know you're caring for us, Lord. Send us out in the world as a distinct and different community, as a non-anxious presence where we live, learn, work, and play. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.